I loved Liz. She's so well-spoken. She's obviously done her research. I just can't believe how unique she is in this approach, right? I knew you would love her for sure. Yeah. I loved her story. I think that listeners will really enjoy hearing her perspective as a mom that didn't give her kids social media until they were 18. I think it'll give people hope that this could be possible for me or I could find somewhere in between, but I don't have to give it to them when they're 13. I don't have to give it to them when they're 14 or 10, you know? Yeah. She followed her gut. And there are so many parents out there that I think have a gut intuition that this isn't good for your kids. Mm-hmm. And to be okay and to step in and do it. Right. Go for your instinct. Yeah. Right. She didn't give a shit what other people thought. You know. I know. Like, right? I'm yeah. like, Liz, you're a badass. I know yeah. she is. Guys, I think you're really gonna enjoy hearing from Liz, who's a mom of four, and sharing her story about not giving her kids social media until they were adults. So enjoy this episode. I'm Nikki, an ex-social media manager. And I'm Ashley, a licensed teen therapist and parent coach. Welcome to today's episode of Scrolling to Death. Today we are joined by Liz, who is a mom of four living in Orange County, California. And on Scrolling to Death, it's important to us to talk directly to parents and hear their stories around social media. And sharing these experiences is one of the most important ways to help other parents think critically about their decisions with social media and screens for their kids. We asked Liz to share her experience with social media and the decisions she made for her children's social media access. So again, the purpose of these discussions is just to foster conversation and new ideas We don't have the answers to what is the ideal time frame and way to give your child a phone or social media, but by creating spaces for these conversations and sharing these stories, we can help equip parents with enough info to make the safest choice for their families. So before we jump in, Liz, to your child's experience with social media and screens, I'd love to ask you about your personal experience with social media. Ashley and I jumped on Facebook and MySpace right when they launched. We we were just starting college. So what did your experience look like? Right. Well, Facebook, social media came after I had already finished college. You know, well, I'm a parent at this point when it came on the scene. Mm -hmm. And I am going to be fully transparent. I don't have a ton of experience in social media. From the beginning, I chose not to engage with it. Wow. There's many reasons that led to that. I can remember my husband saying, oh, they have this thing called Twitter coming out. You need an account. He was the one that was trying to get me to kind of participating, engage. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, even back then, I just wasn't comfortable with the platform. Wow. Like I said, various reasons that I internal struggles that I had that I just didn't feel comfortable being a part of that whole world. So I I really have not engaged heavily on social media. I've done it because of my job. I've had to learn it and Mm -hmm. I've done it somewhat, but I don't I don't engage heavily in it and I never have. Wow, Liz. Wow. Which I know is unusual in this world. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) But it also sounds like you had an intuition. This doesn't jive with me. Like, I I don't know about this. Yeah. I I mean, if I'm going to be honest, what it was for me is I struggled. It's really embarrassing, but I struggled with vanity and I felt like this would be something that fed something that I already saw was a struggle and that I didn't want to fall more into. And also I come from a history of addiction in my family and I saw for me, this type of thing could be something that was all consuming for me. So I just, from the beginning, just decided to have a boundary with myself, just a personal choice that I wasn't going to make this a huge part of my life. 
That is so impressive. <laughs> I know. I'm like so in awe of you right now of just that self-awareness that you mm-hmm. had and really knowing like, okay, this, I can fall into the trap of this and I'm going to set a boundary right from the get-go. But Liz, that's so interesting because it is addictive and it would have fed into yeah. any vanity issues and it would have been a problem for you. And you yeah. really saw hugely. that. Yeah. 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 I did. I recognize it. It's kind of surprising. Um but I just saw that from the beginning, I could see the temptation, even like when I went to try to do my first post, I was so insecure about what I was going to say, how I was going to present it, how would it be received? It was somewhat paralyzing. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, "Mm, this isn't worth it for me. I cannot imagine a lifetime of that. Wow. 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 Are you loving this, Nikki? Like, yeah, I'm I'm a unique individual. I am a very unique. That is not for everybody. That was just my story. That sounds we'll like go. a superpower to me. Right? <laughs> where do you think that came from? Like, where did that s- strength come from? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it comes from my faith because I do have a faith background. And I think uh-huh. because I was working through just my own you know, in my faith, you recognize what are those, the, what are those potential stumbling blocks that can be for you? And, and pride and vanity is one of them. And I just saw this as such a beacon of like, this will tick every box that I am trying so hard to be self-aware and work on that. I just, I can, I'm just, I really feel like for me, it was my faith. It was the Lord who kept me from like fully giving into that because I easily could have. Um, I think being hyper aware coming from a family of addiction always being hyper aware uh, for me and what we, I've walked through my journey of like, what is a potential that can be all consuming for me? What is a potential addictive space for me mm-hmm. that I could fall into? And um, I've done well in some areas. I haven't done well in other areas because I just know that that's a part of my makeup. Right. So what happened when you had your kids? You know, a lot of people, when they have kids, they want to show those kids off Mm -hmm. right away. And so did you have any of those feelings? I did too. Yeah. I know this is really, this is a unique space. I'm a unique individual. I felt like it was exploiting my kids if I did that. Mm. And so I think you could see it as definitely like, I want to, if I was being concerned for my family, (laughs) I'd be like, oh, I want to show my family, my kids. I want them to have access. I didn't see it that way. I felt like I was letting the world have access and I just didn't want, I was private. I wanted to keep those moments private because I'm in ministry and I've been in ministry for a really long time. It's almost like you're already in a fishbowl. I didn't want my family to be in that fishbowl as well. And I think you can easily become that. And I didn't, that's like not their choice. That's my choice. And so I just don't want to put that on them. So, and, and that's not to say my husband does do limited social media. So he has mm-hmm. done the post and I would tell people, if you want to see something, it's something we would talk together. What are we going to post? I'm going to post this. Okay. I, you know, he always asks, is this okay? All of that. So it's, we did have one family member posting things. It was so nice because it was collaborative. We always decided on what would be posted, what wouldn't be posted. And so we just kept it limited. Yeah. That was just our choice as a couple. And as they got older, I wonder, did you think to ask the kids permission when they got a certain age on what you could post or did you just continue sort of making that decision between you and your husband? 
You know, we, we, I mean, I think that is so wise today now that everything's coming out and mm-hmm. everything. I think nowadays we kind of all talk. If you're going to be in the picture, you have to ask, are you going to post this? That's typically what they'll say. Are you going to post this? Mm-hmm. And if he says yes, they might say no. Or, <laughs> and yeah. then we would honor that. Right. But I think that that is a really good idea to ask your kids because you're putting an image out. You're cultivating an image for them that they might not want. So I do think that that is a really being a respectful parent and mindful of your kids. I think it is important to do. So it's been a good awareness thing. Even for me, I feel like in this recent year, it's come out how important it is to talk dialogue with your kids about that. Yeah. What was it like for you, Liz, to not give your kids access to social media? Because I'm sure when they, you know, got to be elementary, middle school, or even and high school, they saw all their friends have it. I'm sure they came home and said, Mom, Dad, I I want Mm -hmm. this. And why can't I have it? Yeah, no, it's very interesting. Um, we were those parents. I would say we were those parents. It's super hard because if you're in church, everything runs off the Instagram. School now, most a lot of things only run off Instagram or different social media platforms. So to stay informed, they've made it very difficult not to have some form of social media. Um, it wasn't as much when my, my now 25-year-old, when she was in high school, that wasn't as much the case. There was still a lot of communication mm-hmm. via email, Hmm. flyers, that kind of thing. I think as my last daughter just graduated last year from high school, literally ASB only communicated via Instagram or social media. And that presents a challenge for a parent because you don't want your kid to be uninformed and you feel bad if they're uninformed. We did get a lot of, you don't understand, I'm missing out. This is the only way my friends communicate. You're really doing me a disservice and by not allowing me access So we did get a a lot of negative feedback (laughs) regarding our choice. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify, you waited until they were 18. Like they did not get social media. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, I don't know how the platform's going to evolve and change. I'm trying to really ask and make people aware, you know, schools, all that, please continue to do emails. Please don't stop doing email communication, communicating in different ways and different platforms, because I think as more and more parents become aware of the challenges and the dangers that they're going to want other forms of communication than just social media. That ship turned so much. I think it's going to take a while before we kind of course correct and have other options of communication. But we held to that standard. We just felt like we are doing this for your protection. Uh, we really want to be able to protect you from things that you might not even be aware of. And we would have right. conversations of what that would look like and why. And then when they were 18, they kind of, you know, you you can't control that anymore. They, right. they get that choice. And it's funny because we went from two extremes from nope, nope, to like you're 18. It's now you have hopefully yeah. all the tools you need mm-hmm. to manage it well. You know, right. so it is kind of too extreme. <laughs> yeah. And social media allows kids as young as 13 to sign up without parents' permission. So was there any yeah. sneaking around trying to sign up for it behind your back that you were aware of? Not that I was aware of, not to say that that wasn't mm-hmm. attempted. Right. So um, my husband tried to monitor all of that. Uh, we do have like the blockers on phones and we did have a lot of parental controls on our devices that we have utilized throughout the yeah. years. 
So you gave them a phone at some point, they were driving and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. What was yeah. it an iPhone or was it one of the kids safe phones? So we use iPhone because we felt like iPhone has really good parental controls. In fact, it, de- it really does. And so mm-hmm. we've utilized iPhones the entire experience. So, well, at first it was, this was to their embarrassment. At first it was flip phones. And then, (laughs) yes, I love flip phones. Please. That was the first. And then it transitioned to an iPhone when they were older. (laughs) Me and my husband are all like, oh, flip phones first. For sure. (laughs) It's going to be the flip. Yeah. Yeah. We're bringing it back. We are. I'm sure they would have stories of being very embarrassed. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) That was. Yeah. I've been reviewing phone companies that uh, label themselves kids safe and they market to as young as eight years old and they're Samsung phones. They look like a normal phone. I have two over here, but they are really stripped down and companies like Gab Wireless and Pinwheel and Bark, they partner with those with that with Samsung and they offer these kids safe phones. Oh, that's great. It's great, except I don't know why a kid needs a phone. I'm having a hard time with that. So mm. yeah. We're going to get into more dialogue. I want to speak to someone at one of these companies. Like, what do we think a kid needs a phone for? Yeah. I can tell you from a parental standpoint, because we have like our oldest daughter, she didn't get one until she was 16, right? We waited Mm -hmm. so long. Yeah. And then, um, but I think as your kids with me working full time, and there was just a little bit of an anxiousness with other Mm -hmm. kids um, as they were younger, they needed to know you're coming to get me, Right. It was like that kind of thing. Yeah. To help with some of that, we did go a little younger so that they could feel that comfort. Like, no, I'm coming to get you where we've got a plan. Yeah. You're safe. It's all okay. good to address some of those issues. Because um, yeah. yes, I did feel like you really shouldn't need one until your high school. Yeah. And Ashley and I aren't there yet. Our kids are all under eight. Yeah. These kids safe phones have no internet browser and no social media. So that's great. But they also have like those watches, these gab watches and mm-hmm. things that we're going to look into just to call your mom. Yeah. And so your mom knows where you are and mom and dad know where you are. Yeah. So it's great that they're coming out with products to help parents ease their kids into getting a full-blown smartphone. Yeah. But you guys being who you are, I wonder about like the younger ages, does that mean that they're not able to, in their brains, socially develop where they don't need to be so tethered to us? Does that make sense? Like sometimes mm-hmm. I wonder, they're always wanting that safety net. And I'm, I'm like wondering, is that a good thing? Is that a potential challenge for them to not be as anxious older because we're constantly saying, no, we're here for you. We got you. We got you. I don't know. Is that something that's also feeding the anxiety issues that we're seeing in kids mm-hmm. is that we make them know we're right there. Even in school, we're, we're, we've got you. We're going to give you that. We're not giving them that ability to process in their brains that they've got this. They, they can do this. They can process through it on their own. Yeah. And and a lot of teens are feeling surveilled. You know, their parents are Mm -hmm. reading everything they're putting out. A mom friend of mine, her son's friend has one of the watches and the mom on this watch can tune into the watch at any time and hear what's going on around her kid. Mm. So she can hear what's going on in school. And my mom friend is like, if I have this kid over for a play date, she could be tuning in and hearing everything. Not that there's anything to be concerned about, but it's just like the privacy barriers. There's no privacy anymore. And that kid at some point is going to understand that, you know, just takes one time with mom being like, I heard you say this bad word to your friend or something for him to constantly know that someone's listening to me. Yeah. Yeah. Something doesn't, something feels like that's going to have long-term effects that are not good. Yeah. I don't know. 
there's two groups of anxiety, right? Like the kids are just growing more anxious. And then I, I do see the the more helicopter parent too. And I think they just both feed into each other as well. Mm-hmm. I am a fan of independent play, like, and just mm-hmm. letting them figure yeah. things out. We we only use the mm-hmm. TV at night to, for like an hour and they don't have iPad. They either find something to do together creatively or they all separate and do their own things. For me, that's really important to let them be bored and let them figure out how to bide their time. Um, And that's where the creativity happens. And when you are blocking that creativity with a screen, the damage that it can do to the kid's brain and physical health is really not great. Yeah. You mentioned that you did not give your kids social media access until they were 18, Mm -hmm. until they were adults. How do you feel like that decision affected their transition to adult use of social media? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's been frustration. Like, why didn't you let me? That doesn't make sense why you guys were so overprotective with it. Mm -hmm. But I do see that it's becoming something that all my kids really love and engage with a lot. And so Mm. I don't feel bad that we waited. Mm -hmm. I can see the argument of how to use it responsibly because it is something that is so it is built to be engaging and all-consuming, right? For any one of us. And I can see how all of them are tempted within that sphere with it. And I don't know, you know, I'd love to, to dialogue with a parent who was able to kind of coach their kids in its use and limits and all of that, because I think that that would be a great thing to learn as a parent. Cause I can mm-hmm. see the, I can see that, that benefit because with anything we, as parents, we are to be coaching and preparing our kids for life, right? right. With anything that they use. And I have seen with other things, when you're super restrictive, when you're super, no, 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 right. how then they don't know how to engage with that when they're older. They just don't right. have the tools in the toolbox to do that. So I can yeah. see where we kind of missed a responsibility there to help them get the tools in the toolbox to know how to navigate this well. We were always very honest. I really believe you have to be so honest with your kids and not try to hide things or manipulate or twist things. Just be super honest as to the why. We were just always upfront and honest why we felt mm-hmm. the way we did and why we weren't going to allow it and we weren't going to hide it. I can see where maybe we did miss out on giving them some really good tools to net because it's not going away. It's not going away. So what tools did we resource them with? We probably didn't do that very well. And I have to own that. I just think your intuition was right on though with the dangers of letting kids have access in it. If I could ignore some of this, I would be like, nope, my kids are not getting on there until they're 18. Um, That's sort of my, my instinct too. And we've been educating ourselves on this for years now, Ashley and I, and I do understand now they do need to have introduction to the these platforms. Yeah. I got rid of Instagram in 2020 and didn't have it for three years and felt amazing about it. But now having a business, mm-hmm. I have to have you – know, yeah. one of our children has a business where they have to market themselves. It's it's part of life and with over half the population active on it. Like if you want to be engaging in certain things or have a business that's marketed online, you have to have it. So yeah. figuring out the best way to introduce it in a safe way. It's it's hard for me because the tech companies are serving up inappropriate, harmful content. So I just don't trust it yet. And I yeah, I just feel grateful that our kids are at the age they are. Yeah. And kids are brains are developing to their 25, right? And right. they don't really know how to manage mentally what's coming at them 
how to process that, how to really navigate that space really well. And so I think that's what's, there's no limit on the other end. There is like only us trying to limit and figure out how to help them navigate it. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what's the challenge. I think, do I want to give my kid a drug, (laughs) you know, like here, I'm going to teach you how to be really responsible with this drug, you know? Right. I wouldn't do that with any sort of narcotic. I just wouldn't no. because I wouldn't know if they would, you know, become full blown drug addicts. You know, I, I wouldn't even want to yeah. tempt him or trust her. Mm-hmm. I think that's where my mindset was when it comes to social, social media. Cause I could see the addiction pattern with it yeah, and the all consuming pattern with it. It is so self promotion driven. And then yeah. with the faith background element, we just don't want to be, all about ourselves, feeding ourselves in every aspect. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is a tool that can be so self-consumptive. As you said, I, I wrestle with, could we have given some tools in the toolbox? I think we could have. What tools do you think you know you would have, because absolutely you wanted to protect your children. What do, you, what do you think the balance then was? What do you think maybe some tools that you would have liked to have given them during that time? Yeah. I think helping them understand what is good for your soul, what is not good for your soul. Mm -hmm. Like when you see something that comes at you that you can tell this isn't good for your soul, you turn it off, you know, learning how to turn things off. Okay. I know this isn't good for me. I need to walk away from this. I need to shut this down. Learning how to provide limits to yourself. Mm -hmm. I think what's been really hard for me as a parent is teaching my kids limits with it. I just really, honestly, even now is such a struggle. I know there's such great research out there. Put your phones away at this time Mm -hmm. and put it in the closet and all that. That's not that easy. (laughs) It just really isn't. Right. Especially when so much schoolwork's done on a digital device. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot happening on a digital device. Kids want to stay. It has become so much of their social network. They want to stay connected to their friends or connected with it. It makes them feel connected with people and community. So it gets more and more challenging, especially the older they get, the more they use it. So I think trying to teach them why are limits good? How do we limit ourselves? What does that look like? And, and really giving them, I think what's super important about parents is you have to give kids the why. If they don't have the yes. why and they don't mm-hmm. understand the why, it doesn't make sense to them and they will not they're like, forget it. Nope. I don't want, I don't believe you. I don't want, I, you're yeah. just telling me a rule to have a rule. You have right. to give them the why, why, why do we limit ourselves? Cause your brain can't rest. You have no space to think, you know, there's different things you can walk through with your kids. I think we could definitely have been better about that and really taught them those kind of things as they were growing up. I love that. And that just really speaks to what we're doing on this podcast is really helping parents with the why, yeah, you know, and the education behind uh, social media and screens and the tech companies and all of that. Because it can be super overwhelming to start from scratch and be a parent and be like, what decision do I make? How do I make it? How do I communicate it to my kids with confidence So one thing that I'm prioritizing is a family tech plan. I love that. With specific questions around how to make decisions on this. And and it is the whole goal, like Ashley said, of this podcast to bridge the gap between what's all the data and all the experts saying, and then let's give you that in a summarized version to parents, and then they can take that information and make whatever decision they feel is best for their families. Yeah. I think that's really good. A family tech plan. I think that's a mm-hmm. great idea. Um, because one of the things too, that I've noticed with my kids and everything is not, 
being able to, to know and to understand what is true information and what is false information. Mm, um, because everything yes. that comes on social media is presented as this is truth. truth, And right. so it's truth. And so if you want to look this way, this is the truth to get there. If you want to be seen this way, this is the truth to get there. And I think for our kids, those are the, I mean, besides politics and all that, I think for kids, it's wanting to be loved, accepted, and look a certain way. And so they belong yeah. to the collective. And so it's like, all of those truths that are coming at them and a lot of them is such misinformation. It's not even healthy or good for them, but they think, no, this is going to be good for me. Right. That is, I think one of the things as parents, we have to be so equipped with knowing how do we help them navigate that space? Um, yeah. Because we're all so influenced. We are all so influenced. And so it's hard to navigate what's coming at you as knowing, is this true or is this good okay. for me? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that's really difficult for, for kids and teenagers to decipher. Even adults, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Is this good for me or is this not good for me? Especially on a platform that is so enticing and attractive. And we were, mm-hmm. me and Nikki were just talking about how like they absolutely use psychology to make it look like it's truth, to make it mm-hmm. more fear-based. So you're, it just like keeps you scrolling, keeps you looking at it. Have you seen any issues or any themes with your own kids or even with the kids in ministry that they struggle with as social media? So one of my biggest concerns is for girls and the health and wellness that comes mm-hmm. through social media. It is a message that is driven to our girls, but I think even boys are now falling into this as well. Absolutely. Um, I need to have that six pack. I need to have the eight pack, you know, all of that. All of these kids are getting the constant message of health and wellness and the extremes they do to get there. And everybody has a different body type. I really feel that a lot of these platforms are not addressing really what is healthy. It's more of a look as opposed to a general act of nutrition or health. (laughs) It's a look we're trying to achieve. It's not a, how do I step into health? It's how do I look this way? How do I get this? How do I achieve this? And I see it so much in teens, how much they're struggling with body image. And that creates its own anxiety, its own compromise its own challenges. And I think all of us, even parents, we're counting macros, we're doing this. I mean, I was just on, I was looking for work and guess what was coming up? Okay. Cause I'll be fully transparent. I'm 50. Yeah. So all of these ads were coming up on how I could lose weight at 50 and what, what? I should be doing these new wall exercises. It was this <laughs> ad over and over again about these 15 minute wall exercises. I'm like, how did, how did it know that I was like feeling a little insecure about all of this stuff. And it's like, and it was ad after ad after ad about how to get help, you know, get fit and look skinny at 50. And so I just thought that was so fascinating and how that message is going into my head. Even in that five minutes, it was over and over again. I'm not Mm -hmm. thin enough. I need to, I need to get that app. That app is my answer. Right. And I'm not yeah. going to lie. I found myself going on that app. That is how For sure. influential these things are. And I picture that on a, on a teen level, on a kid level, and how consuming and how we are drawn to that. It just sucks us all in. It makes us go to the extremes. It's not valuing us as a person. It's not seeing who we are as people, 
our hearts, what we really need. It's just looking at us as a commodity and how do we get you to buy our product, be the way we think you should look. It's very challenging. And so I think of that on a team level, receiving that, not understanding how their brains are developing and the damage that can do to their, even their peace of mind. I, I, kids just lack Mm -hmm. peace. They just lack peace because it's Mm -hmm. never enough. It's never enough. We don't have that space. There used to be when you didn't have social media, you know, you had space to just be your own, to be on your own, to kind of make your own thoughts, your own ideas. Well, now you have a device telling you every day what your thoughts, what everything you should be thinking, should be doing, should be acting. And you just don't have any space to cultivate who you are as a person. And I just see that as such a challenge for teens and for parents navigating it. One uh, organization I really like, they're called the Center for Countering Digital Hate. They pull research on the platforms, on all the tech platforms, and they constantly get sued by Elon Musk and all these platforms for revealing Mm -hmm. this concerning data. They set up new TikTok accounts as 13-year-old girls in a bunch of different countries. So they wanted to see what TikTok would serve to these girls. Um, So they set up uh, accounts in the US, UK, Canada, and Australia. All they did was briefly pause on some videos about body image and mental health and then click like. That's all they did. And then they wanted to see what would get served to them. And within two and a half minutes, TikTok recommended suicide content. And within eight minutes, mm-hmm. recommended content related to eating disorders. So mm-hmm. what they're doing is feeding on that anxiety and those mm-hmm. issues that the teen is experiencing. It wants them to feel more anxious because it's that's going to keep them on the platform trying to find whatever they're looking for. Mm-hmm. But it is scary how right you are that the tech companies are there for profit. They're not looking out. In fact, mental health is like at the bottom of their list. It's not even mm-hmm. on their list when it comes to supporting our kids and our teenagers in their experiences on social media. It's very scary. Well, even with the on the mental health side, they allow videos to be promoting things that are not even good for their mental health, but it's couched in, no, this is how you handle this situation if you're suffering from this mental health disorder. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, very dangerous for kids. Mm-hmm. I think it's creating broken relationship. I think it's not equipping them with what they really need to navigate relationships well, because everything they get is in a, a minute soundbite or a two minute soundbite, and they don't really understand full context, conflict resolution, all of that, they're getting a clickbait of a Mm -hmm. short amount of information to go, okay, I'm going to handle that situation like that. That seems like a good, Mm -hmm. that sounds good to me. I'm going to do that. And then it can relate in broken relationship. And I just, it just makes me sad. (laughs) It makes me sad for kids. My own experience with what I've, you know, in the world I live in, just body dysphoria, um, disordered eating, it's, it is, I think, on the rise. I think a lot of parents are not really in tune with it or even understand the damage that is happening to our kids and teens with disordered eating because we too, as adults, are falling into it. And so- Oh, absolutely. It is a dangerous road and a dangerous path that I see that, that social media is really cultivating. Absolutely. Among teens, especially- I was just thinking about what your your example was before, you know, the wall exercises. And I was mm-hmm. just thinking about yeah. probably what happened was you were like looking and you might have just looked at it for maybe a couple seconds. Not even. Probably. And it was the algorithm. It was a social media algorithm to yeah. go, oh, she likes that. Because compared to all the other stuff, 
she has looked at this maybe one or two seconds more. So we're going to feed you more of that. And if you think about a teenager who, again, teenagers are are learning their identity, they're they're struggling with self-esteem, they're they're trying to find a sense of belonging and acceptance and even acceptance with themselves. If they're looking on social media and they see someone who is skinnier or prettier or whatever, maybe they look at it for maybe one or two more seconds more. Maybe it catches their eye one or two more seconds. And guess what? The social media algorithm will feed them more of those same pictures. So what do you, mm-hmm. what do you think then a teenager is thinking? They're thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm just getting bombarded by these pictures. And why don't I look like that? Then the comparison starts setting in. Mm-hmm. And then it just has this domino effect that could just really start, you know, just chipping away at their self-esteem. Well, it's, I feel like it's stripping their identities. They're not even able to yeah. form their own identities because their identity is being formed by what they're receiving through the social media feeds. That is going to be really challenging as they come into adulthood. And I think why we're seeing such a rise in anxiety, because they're not able to really form their identities. Their ide- identities are being formed by outside sources. Even their parents, what the parents are sharing about them. Yeah, yeah. And that's very unique to this culture. It's very unique. It's a unique space that we're in trying to figure out. And we're also desperate mm-hmm. as parents going, why, why are they so anxious? Why are they, why? And I think a lot of it is we're reaping what we sow. We're like, oh, yeah. this is why. <laughs> right. I want to talk about mirroring behavior. So you were able to stay strong and, you know, this is our decision as a family. You don't get social media. Look, I'm not even on social media. Yeah. Did your kids ever go to your husband and be like, well, you're on social media and you share us on social media, so why can't we share ourselves? Would that, was that ever something that you dealt with? That's a good question. I I don't feel like we did. We we okay. dealt more with the pressure of like just let us out it. Like I, yeah. they maybe amongst themselves they didn't address, or even with my husband individually, yeah. but not. I don't ever remember really addressing that as a whole. Okay, I can remember my son one time giving me a call and just saying, you know, I really now that he's over 18, you know, I really feel that you should let one of my younger kids have social media. I think that you're really causing damage. And I explained to him, I said, I want you to know why we made this decision. Maybe you're not, maybe you don't remember, you're aware Mm -hmm. that this child was bullied through social media and the effect that that caused. We just know what bullying on social media does to the brain, all that it did to even this kid that just really struggled because of just the cruelty that can happen. Our kid did not have social media. Actually, it was a friend who let, who made us aware of it. Mm. And so we were able to find it. We contacted Instagram. And I will say this, we contacted Instagram and they immediately took it down, which I appreciated. Oh. We didn't know how hard that was going to be or when it's, when it's something like that, they were very responsive and took it down immediately. But it was already circulated. Damage is done. It was already, damage is done. And that's from a kid who created a false account that the parent wasn't aware of and how fast that can happen, how easy that can happen, how, and how cool that is. You know, I don't fault that kid. I think the kid just had no idea the consequence, the real consequence of the ramification of that act. Because like I said, they're a kid, their brains are developing. They have no idea what their actions that day, what it was going to have long-term because we just, it's really hard for kids to think that way. And I think that really made us hold our ground even more. That whole walking yeah. through that was like, Absolutely. yeah, no. Were there any other kids in their circles that weren't allowed social media? There's been a couple. 
Not too many, not too many in our world have I noticed. I feel like I'm now starting to see a trend, definitely, where more parents are more protective. But at that time, it seemed like we were more the outliers. We were not the norm. I think as more research is coming out, I think more and more parents are becoming aware and are Mm -hmm. saying, yeah, no, (laughs) right." What was it like to be the outlier? I think me and Nikki have talked about this before on previous episodes, and it could be really tough being the outlier or being like that parent that is just doing something atypical. So what was that like for you? There's a couple things. One, me not doing social media, it comes with a consequence. It means I don't know when my friend's mom passes away because I'm not getting that immediate notification. And I'll go up and I'll say, oh, how's your mom? Well, she passed away. How, how did you not know? And then I feel mm. horrid, you know? Yeah. So there are the negative consequences of not being in the know 24 seven. So I feel like that was really hard for my kids too. And then I would feel bad. I would feel bad. Yeah. I'm sorry. You weren't aware of that. I'm sorry. You did not know that. So when I felt that responsibility, that was painful and that was hard, yeah. but I still had to say, what am I responsible for as a parent? The other parents aren't responsible for my kids. I'm responsible right. for my kids. And I have to do this in conjunction with my husband. We had to be a team. If we weren't a team on this, I think it would have been a whole lot harder. Right. But we were right. so unified on this that we had to say, what is going to be for our kids, what we feel is going to be for their best. And we just held to that. And we held to it as a team. There were painful moments. There were hard moments. There were uncomfortable moments. All those things. But we just felt so... Uh, unified in our decision that it just made us hold our ground. And there's probably, you know, there's a little bit of a challenge in me too. (laughs) So that probably made it a little Mm -hmm. bit easier. But I think also what prepared me, I did a lot of different things. Like I did homeschool for many years and that was when a lot of people weren't. And I got comments all the time about that. Now that's the new trend and everybody's doing it, you know? So it's just kind of funny how I've just always kind of have been, I've always kind of been doing things a little differently and being okay with it. So what do you feel like some benefits were? You know, we've talked a lot about some of the struggles and the hard things about restricting your kids from social media, but can you tell us what benefits you think they received from that experience? I think some of the benefits were not seeing like kids at a birthday and they weren't there Mm. or not like being a part of certain, being left out of certain social Mm -hmm. events. I know for me, that's a benefit too. Yep, me too. When I know that everybody's there and I'm not there, it, that hurts. And that makes you feel like, what's wrong with me? Why wasn't I included? I think that was super beneficial for my kids to not constantly see, oh, I'm not a part of that. Oh, I'm not a part of that. Protecting them from all the messages, I think was really helpful. But like I said, because we didn't navigate that space well, I will say there's been some challenges with that post 18 right. when they had access, it's, it's taken them down some difficult journeys. Yeah. But I will say, I think there's something too, that they were protected from that when they were younger. So we've had to walk some tough journeys post, but if they yeah. had, I don't know, I think if they had been exposed to a lot of that stuff younger, I wonder where they would be at today or how they would be managing that even today. So I do feel grateful that they were protected from from some aspects, not all, because we we are not a device-free family. We do have devices, so they are they still have been exposed to things. We still have walked through right. things that we've had to learn from and grow from. Mm-hmm. It wasn't incessant. It wasn't constant. Right. So I still feel like there is space. My kids can communicate. Mm-hmm. They ha- can have conversations. They can be device-free when needed. 
they can have fun and enjoy doing a puzzle or a mm-hmm. game or a different thing. They can function without the device. And I think that to me is a win. <laughs> For sure. Huge win. Because kids are getting thousands of Snapchat notifications a day. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. And then also too, in Instagram, they have their like personal account and then they have like spam accounts now. So they're just getting absolutely bombarded. Yeah. Snapchat is a very, is a concern for me, especially if you have a kid. I don't think any kid should be on Snapchat. I really don't because you cannot control what comes at them. And a lot of dangerous material comes up on Snapchat. Mm -hmm. A lot. Yes. There's a lot of things to tackle here. So with this podcast, the journey to get a phone, right? Like how to get your kids using a phone responsibly and when does that happen? Whole other thing, this whole other challenge is how to get your kids using social media responsibly. That's more complicated. I agree. I don't think I need my kids ever to be on Snapchat. We have a lot of time Mm -hmm. to evolve and see what else comes out and what else we have to deal with. Or maybe what legislation will start putting onus on the tech companies to take responsibility for some of the harms that is causing children. Yeah, I think my goal for my kids is I want them to know they can have healthy lives without social media. Mm -hmm. You can have healthy friendships, healthy relationships, healthy connections Mm -hmm. without having to be on social media. It's almost like this I just want to prove it. I just want to prove like there's so much freedom in it. And I want my kids to know that they haven't like, like I said, I have some adult, I have three adult children and one non-adult children. My three adult children all use it. They haven't come to that conclusion yet, but they know that I don't. And they watch how I can still have a very full life without it. Right. And, and I'm okay. And I'm okay. Yeah. (laughs) I'm actually probably a lot better and um, secure Mm -hmm. without it than I would be for me. This is for me and what I knew what was good for me um, than if I would be with it. I think I would be, I would really struggle. And you know what that's so beautiful about that, Liz, is when your kids get older and if they decide to have children, you have just gave them an opportunity of what it feels like and and know it. they are absolutely capable of not giving their kids social media mm-hmm. and to understand the difference of what that looks like. And they could offer that. They could offer that gift to their kids too. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Ashley. So I've set a boundary where I don't connect with my friends, my real life friends on social media. That's separate. Our relationships are private and Mm -hmm. in person and over text message and phone calls. I only have our business Mm -hmm. Instagram and I don't connect with friends on there because, you know, I I did a couple little connections with friends and started immediately feeling left out from things they were doing and kind of feelings that were mm-hmm. unnecessary. I didn't need to know all of these things. So I think that it's yeah. 100% possible and almost better to keep personal friendships personal. Mm-hmm. And then whatever you need to be doing on social media for business or brand awareness separately mm-hmm. is okay. And you can have a completely successful situation set up like that. I agree. Absolutely. I really do agree. Well, Liz, thank you so much for being here with us. Mm-hmm. This was a really interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you for opening up about not giving your kids social media until they were adults (laughs) and how that experience was for you. I think that is not the norm. And I think that a lot of parents will be really interested in hearing about your experience. So again, we, we appreciate you sharing. 
And I do think it, it will offer some parents hope. And just me hearing about your story gives me hope for my kid, my young kids mm-hmm. when they get older. And thanks for having me. I appreciate being on your show today. Of course, Liz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Scrolling to Death. Please give us a follow so you get an alert when we have a new episode come out. And we will catch you next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Liz. Bye. Bye.